Hello, and welcome to the 38th episode of the LI Law Podcast. I am your host, Zahava Schechter. The premise of this podcast is to feature issues, developments, and topics affecting the law, and how it relates to the 8 million of us who live or work on Long Island, New York, which includes Nassau, Suffolk, Queens, and Kings Counties. If you live or work on Long Island, this podcast on local and state legislative and judicial decisions is for you. Our guest on this 38th episode is Lisa Renee Pomerantz Esquire, an attorney who concentrates her practice in business and employment law, training, and dispute resolution. Please check out the show notes for a full list of Lisa Pomerantz's credentials and contact information. Please also keep in mind that we will not be providing legal advice to any specific questions. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Okay. Well, please tell us about yourself and how you came to practice law in your areas of concentration. I graduated from Harvard University in 1976 and from Boston University Law School in 1979. I then clerked for a federal judge, which made me think that I would enjoy litigation. So I spent seven or eight years as a litigation attorney in Boston and found I really did not enjoy it. I then transitioned to working as a senior level in-house counsel for a major corporation, NEC, here on Long Island. Then when NEC, like many large companies, left Long Island, I had to reinvent myself. Since 2003, I have practiced law in Suffolk County, working primarily with small and medium-sized businesses On commercial and corporate matters, I also help them resolve business and employment disputes amicably and cost-effectively as settlement counsel or through alternative dispute resolution, i.e. mediation and arbitration. I'm also on the roster of neutrals for the American Arbitration Association as a commercial consumer and employment mediator and arbitrator and also serve on the mediation panel for the Eastern District of New York Federal Court. Finally, I provide workplace training and mediations and also have taught at Toro and New York law schools. Okay, so Lisa, how is mediation different from arbitration or from other alternative dispute resolution methods? Arbitration is an alternative dispute resolution method where the neutral serves like a private judge to decide the dispute on the merits. Mediation also involves a neutral third party, but that the function of that neutral is to assist the parties to the dispute in resolving their conflict on mutually agreeable terms. And why would a business owner choose mediation or arbitration over litigation? As an adjudicative process, arbitration is more private, expeditious, and cost-effective. Also, the parties to the mediation can determine the credentials or training of their arbitrator and have somebody appointed who is an expert in their particular field. So it's much cheaper, faster, and I think better way of getting a dispute resolved. As far as mediation goes, conflicts often result in the destruction of a business and in family businesses. 
in the destruction of family relationship. Mediation allows for the parties to find a way to resolve their conflicts without destroying their business or their family. Okay. And what is the difference between state and federal practice in terms of mediation or arbitration? I actually mediate both for the American Arbitration Association, which is a private provider of mediation services. The Eastern District actually does not itself provide mediation services. Rather, it qualifies and maintains a panel of approved mediators who can be retained by the parties if the judge refers the case to mediation. And if one is accepted onto the panel, one agrees to mediate pursuant to the court rules and also uh, to charge a discounted uh, fee rate. Do litigants have a choice as to whether to mediate or arbitrate in federal or state court? And if so, how do they choose? What are the criteria for deciding which venue may be more favorable or more appropriate? Much of mediation takes place outside of the court system. So, for example, parties to contracts can have mediation clauses in their agreements, so they actually never go to court for mediation. And the cases that get referred by federal or state court are referred after a lawsuit has been commenced. Okay. And in order to prevent the mediation or arbitration, perhaps it's a good idea to give our listeners some tips about what they should ask for or put into a contract, especially before they enter the business agreement to prevent later problems. So what are some tips you would give to business owners thinking of entering into business agreements? I like to think of business agreements as blueprints for a successful business transaction or business relationship. So it's important to devote the time and effort to getting that blueprint correct. So that's my first piece of advice. The second piece of advice is to consult your attorney immediately when issues arise, because at that point, there are often many ways that the issue can be resolved. Letting problems fester forecloses some of those options that might be available at an early stage. And finally, when one is handling conflict in the business context or elsewhere, it's important to be able to see one's own situation objectively, to communicate respectfully, and as we say, to separate the people from the problem. Mainly to remain logical and not emotional. Well, one can expect to have emotions in challenging situations, but, and it's fine that we do, but we shouldn't let those emotions hijack our actions and the way we communicate. Okay, and now we're going to move on to a segment we call What is on Your Desk? So Lisa, what is on your desk? Uh, a contract that I'm drafting for a client, which is acquiring a competitor. So I love to work with my clients to try to make sure that a transaction like this 
is structured to be successful. So one of the things that we do is try to align the incentives. For example, in this case, the more profitable the acquired business is, the higher the compensation that the seller receives. And we also need to protect the acquiring company, which is my client, from having the seller compete with them. So one of the things that we are including in this transaction is a non-compete to make sure that the owner of the business which is being acquired does not compete with my client who is the purchaser. Which means that the current owner of the business could go out and set up a new business on his own and be a direct competitor to this new incorporated business, correct? Correct. So there's a prohibition on the seller doing that. And in fact, the seller will be working as a consultant to my client. And so we're using both the carrot and the stick, the carrot of enhanced compensation for a more successful and profitable acquisition, and a stick being the prohibition on competing with my client after the sale. How long does that non-compete clause uh, remain effective? It really depends on the nature of the industry. I believe that this one is probably for about three years. That's the standard, right? That's the standard in the market? I would say that there actually is not a standard. It really depends on how quickly valuable confidential information goes stale or how long it remains valuable. I'm also uh, working on trying to help resolve a family business conflict. It is often the case that the members of the second generation who inherit businesses encounter difficulties. They may not get along with each other. They might not be especially suited to being in the business. They may feel some kind of responsibility to their parents to keep the business going when it's not logical or economical to do so. And again, this is the common theme. I try to help members of family businesses try to see their business in a more objective light and try to separate out sibling or other family co uh, conflicts from their decision making. And now we're moving on to our segment called Only on Long Island, a recent development you see on Long Island or something relates to recent case law. So something that the federal court on Long Island, which is the Eastern District of New York Federal Court, is a leader in is the use of alternative dispute resolution and especially mediation. So I'm on the mediation panel for the Eastern District. So the rules in the Eastern District permit judges or magistrates to refer cases that they think are appropriate to mediation or the parties themselves can opt to go to mediation. And this allows cases which may not have that much money involved or where there might be time pressures for settlement to have a better chance of settling earlier and more economically. And do you see that judges in the Eastern District are supportive of mediation or arbitration? 
I do see that they are supportive, and I really give credit to the ADR office for the Eastern District for forging a close relationship with the judges and developing procedures that work for the parties, their counsel, and the mediators. And Lisa, is there something else you want to tell our listeners? I think that something that's very important to the practice of law and to society as a whole is recognizing the importance of the rule of law and the need for civility, both when negotiating transactions and in trying to resolve conflict. I think that often gets overlooked today, but yet I think it's very important. And the other thing that I would invite listeners to do is I put out a monthly uh, email newsletter on legal and dispute resolution topics. And if they are interested in subscribing, I understand that my contact information is in the show notes, and I'll be happy to add any of them to the list. Okay, well, thank you so much, Lisa Pomerantz, for coming on the podcast today. And that's it for our 38th episode. And to our listeners, be sure to download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you are there, please rate us with a review that might start. I just heard on the LA Law Podcast that the Appellate Division of the Supreme Court, Second Department, which covers Long Island, found in favor of a Babylon Village resident who built an 86-square-foot treehouse without a permit from the village. The appellate court reversed the order of the village judge who had convicted the resident for violating the village code, fined the resident, and ordered the removal of the treehouse. The resident, John Lepper, had built the treehouse for his two children, ages five and six, to enjoy, but he was denied a permit for the construction. Mr. Lepper sued the village in federal court for allegedly violating his rights. That federal lawsuit is still pending. We will be following this case and will report the developments as they occur. The LA Law Podcast lets you know what's going on on Long Island and is your podcast for local tips which educate and entertain. Thanks for listening.